0: everybody it's another episode of the suzy show where we discuss tech and teaching with a little southern twang now on with the show Hey there it's Susie Lolly, and welcome to another episode and today we are talking about flipping your classroom without flipping out. Let me just give you a little bit of my background. I'm a 15 year teacher but when I was in the classroom I'm now an instructional technology specialist. I was formerly an ELA teacher. I taught middle and high school for 11 years and um. Honestly, there were a lot of things that I considered when flipping and I will tell you I'm an out of the box thinker so some of my ideas may not be anything you've heard before and I hope. But let's talk about some reasons you might want to flip. Flipping is not new. I certainly didn't come up with it but for me, I was bored and needed a new approach. Um, The unit I'm gonna talk about today is Romeo and Juliet and I loved my ninth graders but if you ever have had to hear ninth graders read out loud and let me say with this caveat, Shakespeare, then you know that there can be times that that is very hard to deal with. People don't know Shakespearean language. A lot of students are not comfortable with reading out loud in general. So honestly, I just needed a new approach rather than let's read Shakespeare out loud in class and get through all five acts of Romeo and Juliet. Um, I needed a way to clone the teacher. You're always looking for, I know I was, always looking for ways that, you know, you can get more engaged with your students and more, uh, more ways that, aside from having a co-teacher, that you could maybe have stations in your classroom or be able to work with a small group without the other ones all going crazy. And so flipping allows you to clone the teacher. It also allows you to engage students. What I did, and I'll talk about it more in just in kind of the next section of this podcast episode, but um, I did a little kind of a sample lesson with my students where we did a a little mini flip and I broke them into groups as I'm going to describe in a minute. And I asked them, I said, did you enjoy this more? And unanimously, my most difficult class, which is who I decided to try this with, I told you I'm out of the box, said they were more engaged in the lesson that I had done that way. Um, Also, uh, flipping allows for partner work. So not just um, partner work for the sake of partners, but really meaningful. You have a job. I have a job. We need each other. We need to think through some things. Uh, Flipping can open up an opportunity for you to do that. And again, I'll describe that in just a few minutes. It allows you also to cover material, and I know that teachers aren't supposed to say, I covered those standards, but there are certain standards we honestly just need to cover, certain material we just need to cover. Say we did it, they need that material to build on, Um, but that can be attacked more quickly. It truly can be a coverage, and then we can dive into what skills I wanted you to learn from that and apply. Um, Also, it's a great way to make the most of either Bring Your Own Device programs or one-to-one. And so if you are a district that does not have enough computers, then you can integrate still BYOD. Or if you're blessed to have one-to-one, every student has a computer, or two-to-one with iPads or something, then certainly flipping opens up a lot of possibilities for using that technology. So let's now get into it, you know, after we've talked about why. What did I flip in my classroom? Again, I flipped Romeo and Juliet. Um, we actually went through act one of Romeo and Juliet. And if you're familiar with Shakespeare, a lot of his plays are five acts. And I wanted the students to have the experience of reading out loud. I wanted them to see Shakespeare as it was written. And so honestly, for act one, we persevered, we read out loud, we all chose parts. Um, At the end of that, is when i decided you know what let me just try for act two this flipping thing i wasn't even committed to necessarily using it for the whole play and it did develop into that but i was like okay for act two while we're getting through act one kind of in the background i'm planning my act two flipping and so here's what i did i used a really goofy app you're gonna laugh at me being middle and high school but there's an app called sock puppets I will link to it in the resources. And if you have not seen sock puppets, you need to go check it out. It's exactly what it sounds like, but it's an app. So you have different sock puppets. You can put props on them. You can give them different high pitch, low pitch voices. It's all you. You're recording the voices, but you can kind of tune your voice. Um, it has different backgrounds that they can be in. Uh, you can pull in your own backgrounds. I did sock puppets. I think it's called Complete. It's the you know the version you pay for, but it wasn't very expensive at all. And so sock puppets allowed me to reenact Romeo and Juliet, at least act two, which was my plan at the beginning to reenact that in a way that my students would be a little more interested. And definitely they were Uh, to see their teacher (laughs) doing this silly thing with sock puppets with an app. um, Even listening, my husband would say, what in the world are you doing? Because at night, I would be in our bedroom you know, with the door shut recording these different little voices. And he's like, what are you doing? And so um, I was recording Romeo and Juliet. So I would read it. And then what I would do is Sock Puppets allows you to save the video, which I would then put on YouTube. Um, I would put it on YouTube. And something I wanted to do, because I don't like students just to listen to text. I want them to actually see it, especially with Shakespeare. It's such rich language. And so what I would do is I would take... um, The actual text of the play, which is in the public domain, on certain things you would not be able to even, you know, put it on YouTube. So I'm just using something in the public domain. I would take the actual text of the play, each act that I was recording, each scene, and I would copy that into the closed caption file. If you have not played with closed captions on YouTube, you're really missing out on a treasure. And so I would make that the closed caption file so that as students were watching, they were seeing my closed captions, which were the actual words, um kind of scrolling below. The cool thing is about YouTube, if you give it the words, it knows when you're saying those words. Even this country girl right here, it could interpret my Virginia slash North Carolina slash Georgia accent, and it could um, line those different um, words I said up with when I was saying them on the video. Um, So that's just another tip. And then as they were reading it, they were welcome to, I wasn't watching them, they're doing this at home. So as they were reading this each night, they would take a little Socratic quiz and the Socratic quiz might be five to eight questions and it was just comprehension. Here's something. I knew they were taking this quiz at home. I knew they were going to go back and look at the play and look at the answers, but guess what? They thought they were getting away with something. All I wanted them to do was understand it. I didn't care if they had to look it up, talk to a friend. I was getting them to engage with Shakespeare in the evening, and it was really exciting for me. So, again, my flip was listen to the scene at home, and it was usually one or maybe two scenes if they were short. It was a maximum of 15 minutes. Listen to that at home watch and read along on youtube and then take your socrative quiz okay because it was such a short assignment even if they didn't have the technology at home they could do it in the library they could do it you know before they came to class or whatever okay once they did that flip i pulled results from the socrative quiz and let me tell you what happened the next day in the next several days Uh, Based on how they did on their flip, I divided the class into three groups. And you guys, honestly, I had heard of flipping, but I had not researched it a lot. So a lot of this was my trial and error. And I will show my resources. And then at the end, I'll give you an opportunity to share what you've done that maybe would improve on my method. But when they flipped, when they got their uh, Socrative quiz results, I divided them into three groups the next day. And here's what I did. Group one were the people who passed the quiz. And if they did that, then they did a partner activity. I would partner them with someone who also passed the quiz. Occasionally I'd have a group of three and I had an application activity for them to do. So, you know, instead of just, okay, we read Shakespeare, we know what the language was, but now we're gonna, you know, learn about different foil characters or different um, types of irony or whatever the, you know, those big concepts were that I wanted them to apply. And it was a lot of times a fun activity, something with art, something that they could work on together, okay? My second group were people who failed the quiz. Now, you would think that that people would be kind of depressed about being in that group, but honestly, these groups are so flexible because it's not going to be the same kid every time that doesn't get that scene. Some scenes were harder than others. So... The kids that failed the quiz would first of all work in a small group with me. A lot of times I would do a smart board activity or a Kahoot or something where they were able to engage with me and remediate content. So we kind of went back over that scene together in some kind of a fun group way. They did not feel punished. I don't really think they felt dumb. That would never be my goal. But I had to make sure those students got the basic content of that scene before they could move on to the next group. And then once they finished that work with me, they would remediate their quiz. I would actually give them the quiz, print it out. I know that that's not good for paper savers. If I had an LMS like I have now, I would have adapted that. But I would give them their quiz, print it out, and the ones they got wrong, they would correct using the text, which we had a textbook in class. We had a class set, okay? And then they would finally partner up with other people in that same group too, and they would continue the activity the other kids were doing. I may not have them get as far. I might have taken out a requirement at that point, but I tried to make it an activity they could catch up on and not be too far behind group one. So within the same class period as group one is is kind of starting this higher level thinking, I was able to remediate group two and get them started as well. That activity would continue for a few days, two to three, depending on what it was. Okay. And then you have a third group. Hey guys, here's a secret. Not every student in your class is going to do the flip. And <laughs> I was left as a teacher thinking, okay, what do I do with these kids? And so I think what I did was really creative, but you can let me know. Um, The students who didn't flip, first of all, had to finish the reading and the quiz in class. So they're in class. They're not getting out of anything. Um, it was, you know, they actually could get on YouTube if they had their phones with them because I did not have a lot of technology. We'll talk about that in another episode. But they could get on YouTube. They could finish that reading and they could take the quiz. Again, it's open book for them, just like it was open, you know, YouTube video for the other one. So they can watch or read whatever they choose to do. Take the quiz. If they didn't pass, of course, I would need to remediate them. But most of the time with me in the class to kind of guide them, they were able to pass that quiz, get the content. But then by this point, honestly, they're not going to have time from reading and quizzing and then any remediation we had to do with me. They're not going to have time then to start the activity groups one and two have already been working on. But I wanted them to have the knowledge. I wanted them to have the content. So what I would do is I had them do an observation of another partner or group and they did a report. Y'all, these kids were hysterical sometimes. I had them write down everything that happened. So they would say something like, Jimmy just said, blah, blah, blah. Then Susan said, blah, blah, blah. And they would do like a little detailed report. And sometimes they were so hilarious. If I can find one, I'll have to share with you. Um, you know, just how sometimes they would use humor. So-and-so scratched his nose. They really got down and dirty, but what I what they were getting out of it was they were watching the other kids do higher-order thinking. It was making them want to join that group activity, and they still were doing something productive. So again, that was me trying to cope with kids who didn't flip, because you certainly are going to have that with ninth graders, um... I found when I taught seniors, they mostly did their work, but my ninth graders didn't always do their work. Um, eighth graders certainly did not. And so you're going to have to have some kind of a coping mechanism. So I'd love for you to share at the end what you would do to kind of get those kids engaged. Now, here's an alternative. If I had continued flipping, um, I moved out of the classroom after that year, but if I had continued flipping, someone I really look up to a lot is Catlin Tucker, and she keeps a blog. She also does a lot of training for Simple K-12, so you can look her up. But... She does something called station teaching, which to me is akin to the in-class flip. Um, I was listening to a great podcast the other day, and again, I'll link to that resource here about flipping. And flipping does not have to equal homework. And that was the big point I got out of their podcast um, episode was that you don't have to flip at home. If you're someone who is vehemently opposed to homework or you're trying to limit homework or your district has a no no homework policy, then you certainly can do what's called an in-class flip. You can still make the videos or do the activities. Now in my case, mine were pretty labor intensive with things like sock puppets, but you could also use Edpuzzle or just a YouTube video with some questions. But you don't have to flip outside of class. Have the kids rotate through stations where one of them's with you. You know, some are watching these videos. You can still structure, like I said, the people who pass the quiz, people who don't, and then people who just struggle with the flip. You can still um, do that same kind of information, that same structure, but do it inside class. Now, with that being said, it leads me to what if you're thinking, I don't have time to flip, Susie. Flipped learning seems like, first of all, it takes a lot of work on my part. Second of all, it takes a lot of work in class, and I just have too many standards to cover. So did I. Um, never was there a day when I thought, man, I've just got everything caught up. It was just so rare for me, especially as an English teacher. Um, So let me just make this point for you. I I mentioned it a minute ago, but you don't have to make the videos yourself. There are so many resources already available. You can uh, certainly email me if you need some goofy Romeo and Juliet videos and I will hook you up but check out TED-Ed or YouTube or Khan Academy or GeoGebra or you know any of those websites maybe that come with your textbook for resources. You don't necessarily have to flip with a video and you definitely don't have to flip with your own video. So save yourself some time that way. Second of all, if you employ a structure like I'm talking about, then once you get it going, things like group three where they had to write a report on what the other groups were doing, that's done for you. That structure is already taken care of. Socrative, the quizzes are stored for you. So when you come back to this unit next time, you've got them ready to go. But as far as saving time for your students and, and as far as getting to all your content standards on time, that's totally understandable. However, if you have students who aren't doing well on the test getting through all the content at a subpar, mediocre level is not gonna do it for them. Students need to get the content more deeply, and that's what I really feel like was happening with the flip. If you will write out how long you intend to spend on something like, you know, Romeo and Juliet was just my vehicle for addressing drama as a genre in ninth grade. Drama was a big unit we did, and we had to address all those drama terms, and and so I just said, okay, I've got two weeks or three weeks to work on this. so. What can I flip and how can I accomplish my purposes? You'll actually find that they're getting the content more deeply and you're saving time because some of the little piddly things they're doing on their own or out of class. Also, my students really enjoyed working with the teacher. I know you would think that that's totally counterintuitive, especially for freshmen, but they told me themselves that when they got to do the activity with me, not only did they understand it better, but second, they were able to um, you know, engage more. When you're in a small group, you always can. So you may think you don't have time to flip, but maybe you don't have time not to. So just some ideas to consider. And like I said, I would love to hear what you do. If you've been flipping successfully, if you're scared and you have questions that you'd like us to tackle together, please leave those. If you'll go to my blog right now and leave a comment, I would love to hear them. Thanks, and I hope this episode really inspired you to flip without flipping out.